You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Erica Mackey, co-founder of Grid Alternatives. Website is gridalternatives.org. So Erica, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, when you say grid, I assume you mean the electric grid. So what's uh, Grid Alternatives about? We are a nonprofit organization, and we install solar electric systems exclusively in frontline communities. And by frontline communities, I mean communities on the front lines of uh, climate injustice, economic injustice, racial injustice, impacted by our criminal justice system, um, immigration. So most of the communities that we're serving um, wouldn't be able to go solar without grid alternatives. And our installation model is a workforce development model where folks come out and actually get hands-on experience up on a rooftop or in a field installing solar um, and getting the technical skills that they need to get a job in the growing solar industry. So we like to say we have a triple bottom line, people, planet, and employment. Huh. Very interesting. So is it a mix of um, residential and commercial, whatever is needed? It is. Um, I mean, we really believe in this transition to clean energy that includes everyone and everyone with a big E. Um, and that means that, you know, we need to be able to serve people who um, own their own homes, but also renters um, and uh, people without access to electricity. And so our projects are a mix of some what are called off-grid projects. So projects where, um, you know, we do some work in Nicaragua, in Nepal, in Mexico, um, also on the Navajo Nation. Um, and um, some of those projects are for families and communities that don't have any access to electricity. Um, and then we do a lot of residential projects um, where you're connected to the electrical grid, um, but you are using solar during the day and actually using the electrical grid as kind of your backup. Um, and that allows um, your bills to go down. Um, and we have sort of a, a national presence. We have a of many offices in California, so can fill, um, serve people from the Oregon border to the Mexico border. And we also have a Denver, Colorado office and a Washington, D.C. office and do some policy work nationally. Um, so those are the residential projects. And then we also, um, out of all of those offices, also serve renters um, in the way that you're talking about through commercial projects 
projects, which is really um, multifamily affordable housing development. So it can look like a townhouse or it can look like a big apartment building, um, but a building that is serving um, the same frontline communities that we serve in our residential program. So if someone, um, you know, if a landlord owns a building, how do you incentivize them to uh, put solar on it? What, what benefits uh, are you selling them on and you know, how does it benefit the residents? Well, most of the buildings that um, we are serving that have renters in it are actually owned by nonprofit organizations that are building affordable housing. Um, there's a really robust network of amazing organizations um, and local governments are really involved in this as well to preserve um, affordable housing for um, all of our constituents. So a lot of our um, a lot of our clients in the multifamily context are actually super mission aligned, and they want to provide ways to both lower their own operating costs so they can build more affordable housing, but also provide savings to tenants. Um, so, <clears throat> so, you know, we're not really convincing them in the same way as you would convince someone, um, you know, where it's like, well, why should I do this if it's not going to benefit me? Because these are organizations that are set up to benefit um, tenants. Um, But definitely there is the issue with the split incentive where it's really hard to actually, um, you know, put solar on a roof you don't own or put solar on a roof you do own, but it's going to benefit your tenants. Um, And so in California, um, the state has actually put significant dollars um, in a program called SOMA to incentivize um, multifamily affordable housing developers to put solar on their buildings and benefit tenants. So um, maybe your model with the uh, community workers has a better payback period. And again, I'm not a solar person. I'm not in the the industry, but uh, I thought the payback period was pretty long, but it's been getting shorter as the price of solar goes down. So what's like a typical payback period if you have a, a regular commercial company do it versus, uh, you know, the people that are in the community that want to learn how to do solar? Is it cheaper because it's uh, free labor? Um, no, I mean, we're really, we kind of think of ourselves as the teaching hospital of solar. So it's, you know, you have to at some point in time, get out of a lab and operate on a real body. And, um, in our world, um, solar is our, our, you know, the real experience that people get. Um, and that actually, um, you know, takes time, um, which is also, um, you know, costs. Um, and also um, a lot of folks who um, need work and need training actually, you know, are trying to hold down lots of, um, you know, smaller jobs and actually need the opportunity to get paid while you learn. Um, so, we're doing more and more paid on the job training, which is, a, you know, been known to be a really effective way of um, reaching marginalized folks who um, need the opportunity to get a job. So it isn't that um, the work is cheaper because you have free labor, um, but certainly is competitive. Um, and then frequently we try to pay for some of our other costs with philanthropy. Okay, what's what's the current payback period on average for the projects that you're working on? 
I don't know the payback period um, offhand in terms of the investment, um, but for the families we're serving, it's immediate um, because we're actually using a combination of donations and um you know, investments from the state of California or the District of Washington, D.C., um, or, um, you know, the Colorado Energy Office to combine those things together to make it so that um, for Mr. Rodriguez or Ms. Smith, um, the system actually is providing all the benefits to them and they are not out um, any money. So in most cases, um, people are not, they're getting their systems for free and they are then um, taking advantage of all the savings um, right away on day one. Oh, wow, that's a big deal. So this, I mean, in a lot of cases, it probably represents, uh, you know, lowering the electricity bill probably represents a big part of their income helps them. It really does. Um, you know, the families that we work with um, pay a much larger portion of their take-home pay on utility costs. In fact, um, utility costs are basically second only to rent or mortgage payment as a reason for um, someone to, you know, lose their home or really struggle. Um, they're one of the really big expenses that people have. And so if you're able to reduce that energy burden um, for families, that means that they have have a lot more money to put into things like food and clothes and education. Um, and so it, it really is a big deal for the, for the families we serve. Um, and, you know, will continue to be as, as many um, states and cities are um, pushing towards 100% renewables and cleaning our transportation system. Um, this means that, you know, families can also get, you know, electricity from the sun if they um, pair solar with a, um, a, you know, a clean mobility and electric vehicle. Um, and also, um, you know, more and more, we're talking about pairing solar with storage because that allows folks to then weather any, um, you know, sort of big climate events or, um, you know, we're talking about more and more rolling blackouts and brownouts um, when utilities have to shut down because of high fire. Um, so, you know, the families that, that we serve are the ones that can't, rebuild after a flood or um, can't go to a place with cleaner air or afford to um, go to a cooling station when it gets too hot. And so, um, you know, having the ability to pair solar and storage um, really means that, okay, well, then if uh, your utility um, shuts down because of a fire or there's a big climate event and um, there's no electricity, you can still keep your insulin refrigerated if you're diabetic, or you can still plug in your cell phone, or you can still, um, you know, take care of the many things that you need to take care of um, in those events. So is your goal to replace 100% of the electricity cost or just a certain percentage? Why? Well, uh, we usually say that we'll reduce people's electricity costs by 80% because there are a lot of factors, including the amount of roof space or um, land space that you have, um, given, you know, how much electricity you use. So, um, you know, it depends on the place, you know, lots of, there are lots of places where you have a small house and it's very hot and you have a lot of um, air conditioning load, or you have a lot of, you know, you might have a, a lot of people living in 
in a small home with a small roof space, um, which is why we say we're going to reduce 80%. So we put as many panels up there as we can fit, um, but sometimes you can't fit enough panels to reduce 100% of the load. Is there a benefit to getting 100% or even more to sell back to the grid if you can? Well, um, solar is completely scalable. So um, one of the nice things is sometimes, you know, people are paying electricity bills that are in tiers. So um, the utility will say, well, here's how much an average house of your size should use, but you use more than that. So the the more we're going to charge you more for. So sometimes you can put in solar just to reduce that top portion of your load and get back down to a better rate. Um you know, most utilities do not allow you to make a, you know, a huge profit. You can't put like 75 times um, the, you know, amount that you need and then, you know, you become a power plant. Um, you really can only um, eliminate all of your bill. So, um, you know, obviously if you have more solar and you eliminate all your bill, you eliminate all your bill, but it's still really great, even if you're getting 80% or even 50% of your bill reduced. Yeah, I just wondered psychologically for the people that live in these places, if there's a difference between 80% off and, you know, zero electricity costs. I can't, I can't speak for I can't speak for everyone. There may be people who um, really wish that they were able to offset 100%. Um, but I think most um, families are are really pleased with any significant reduction. Yeah, it makes sense. And how long have you guys been doing this, putting in solar? Um, Grid Alternatives has been around uh, around 15 years. We um, did our first installations um, in the San Francisco Bay Area in early 2004. And that whole year, we just did two installations the whole year and um, then um, ended up growing really rapidly, you know, sort of kitchen table operation to um, national presence in 15 years. So now we have about 13 um bricks and mortar offices across the United States and a presence in Nepal and Nicaragua and in Mexico. Um, and we're training thousands of people a year and installing, you know, upwards of 10 to 15 megawatts of solar a year. So what, what trends have you noticed in the solar industry in the last few years? Is it getting a lot more efficient, a lot cheaper, or is it still uh, pretty expensive? Oh, costs have come down tremendously over the time that I've been doing this. When we, you know, those first projects in 2004, I think we paid $4.50 a watt um, for solar, which meant that, you know, people were probably, you know, if you wanted to get solar on your house, it was $30,000 or something like that. Um, and now um, costs are, you know, less than a dollar, maybe less than 50 cents um, a watt. Um, so that's a, a drastic drop in um, prices. The thing that I think is the most exciting um, with the solar industry, and I, I think it does correlate to um, drop in price, but also just like the, the industry is really a robust industry that is now employing more people than oil and gas. Um, and that is very, very exciting. That means that, you know, regular folks are getting jobs in solar that are, um, you know, good paying jobs with um, upward mobility um, and good career pathways. And that, you know, is a huge part of Grid Alternatives work is to train people to get those jobs and, you um, 
You know, it is incredibly transformational to have your electricity costs go down. It is also even more transformational to be able to um, provide for your family and have a career that, um, you know, you like that is doing something good and also has upward mobility. What's it like for the people that have uh, no access to electricity and you, you bring it in? What's their experience like? Well, Every community is slightly different. Um, we recently um, installed a system in uh, Nepal that was um, in a in a park, and by installing the system, it actually allowed for revenue generation for the community. And that particular um, place where we installed the revenue generation, what it was, um, it was like a women's running group um, that did a lot of um, work with women in the community. And then by allowing them to have solar, they could then bring in more tourists and they could make more money um, that allowed them to provide more services. Um, and I think, you know, it's not only the ability to have light um, in your home so that you can study or your children can study at night or the ability to have, um, you know, pumping water where you used to um, walk and get it and now you have a solar powered water pump, um, but also the income generation that um, electricity provides um, is really um, powerful in communities. Well, yeah. How do you identify those kind of projects, which ones to work on and what to put in and where? So um, I'll give you the example of our office in Nicaragua. Um, we have staff um, and an office in Nicaragua, and those staff have deep relationships with many villages. They um, have been doing this for, for many, many years. So now we've installed a bunch of systems and um, villagers will will come to um, other villagers and say, oh, I know you got solar here on your school, or I know you got solar um, on a bunch of homes, or I know you put solar on this healthcare clinic. We would like that in our community too. Um, and our staff work with those communities. Each of those communities has to create an energy committee um, to really understand the solar and maintain it. Um, we also work with a local company that sources um, equipment um, in country so that if anything breaks, we can work with that local company and with our local staff to um, to make sure that the systems um, are still up and running. And um, we hold a annual conference every year for the various village um, energy committees so people can trade stories with each other and expertise. Because um, one of the really important things in a um, a, con a development context is that you want those systems to actually be the systems that people want and need and are asking for and are, um, uh, you know, that people know how to install them, how to maintain them. Otherwise, you have what we've been calling the solar graveyard, where well-intentioned folks or perhaps, um, you know, big companies go in and say, oh, we're going to slap up some solar here. Um, but it isn't really community-driven, and people um, don't think about the community interface. And you go back a year later, and, you know, the batteries being used for plate storage or um, the panels of, are not working anymore. Um, so one of the things we, we work really hard on is making sure that all of our systems um, are up and running 
running and have a really strong on time and if anything goes wrong, but local people and our own staff are there to fix it right away. We do training of the local people to not only install it, but to maintain it as well. Yep, absolutely. Or do you have to have your own staff? Uh, well, our, our our own staff, our local folks, um, as well as we're training people. So um, that project that I talked about um, in Nepal, there were a bunch of Nepali women who actually installed the system um, with our one staff person, um, you know, as the teacher. Um, and they were the ones that learned how to install, that um, learned how ma- to maintain the system. So um, the, the triple bottom line of people planning and Employment extends um, throughout the U.S. Um, to our tribal work um, and to our international work. So, what's uh, what's next for the organization over the next year or so? What are the goals? Well, um, I think one of the big things that we've learned over the 15 years that we've been around is how critical policy is to equitable um, access to solar power and to renewables. Um, And so we continue to push in partnership with, um, you know, frontline organizers, with industry, with other policy um, advocates for equitable access to solar at the state and city level. In the absence of um, federal leadership, it really um, has put a fire under Um, state leaders and uh, city leaders to really push for um, 100% renewables and also do that in a way that actually puts, um, you know, investments in disadvantaged communities and frontline communities and looks at the leadership of those communities um, as um, critical to our transition to clean energy. Well, very good. Any big projects coming or uh, the expansions or just, you know, Keep it going and evolving naturally. Yeah, I think the the things that I'm excited about in the next couple of years is the deepening of our workforce development program. Um, uh, you know, we are in a pretty good economy, um, which is great, and there's low unemployment, um, but that doesn't mean that everybody's getting a job, um, and still the most marginalized folks um, and folks that have been historically in um underemployed situations are not getting work. And so we're continuing to go deeper with our workforce development. We're um, rolling out a program where there is a standard amount of time that people will, um, you know, put in. We're calling it Installer Basic Training 200 because it's um, 200 hours and people will graduate um, at the end of that program with the skills they need to get a installation job. Um, and we're really excited about that and excited about the partnerships we're building with the growing um, employers in the industry. And then I think there are some um, regional things Things that we're really excited about as well. Um, you know, there are a lot of newer regions that are having some really interesting conversations about how do we build a clean economy and one that includes all of our constituents. So, you know, the state of Illinois is um, rolling out um, their solar for all program that's part of a big bill that was called the Future Energy Jobs Act um, that's building a clean economy in the state of um, Illinois. And there are other states and other cities that are following suit. Well, very good. So what's the best way to get in touch and to find out more? Our website is 
www.gridalternatives with an S on the end.org. Um, and anyone interested in getting solar on their home and thinks they might qualify for our program can find out about the income qualifications there, as well as anyone who wants to get involved, come out to an actual installation, learn about solar. Um, anybody can participate. Um, you have to go through a um, volunteer orientation first, but um, anyone can come out to all of our installs, whether or not you want to just get your hands dirty and learn about it, or you want to actually use that to get a job in the solar industry. So again, it's gridalternatives.org. Very good, Erica. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.